Uh, today's topic shall be entitled, I guess, Another's Response to Sota Times. Why do I say that? We have in the parasha, Vaidabar Hashem Shalem on the bottom of the page, Dabir al Yisrael, Vomarato Alayim, Ish or Isha, man or a woman, Kiyafli Lindor Neder Nozir Lahazir Lashem. Speaks of a man or a woman who chooses to dedicate his life or a portion of his life, rather, to becoming a Nozir, to elevating himself to a higher level of Kedusha and sanctity than what normal person is accustomed to. He wants to have a special level of Kedusha. It's interesting when it's juxtaposed with the earlier portion that speaks of a woman who has veered from the pathways of Kedusha, the sanctity of a marriage, and has deviated to the point of lowering herself to what the Torah describes as actions befitting an animal and acting in a lower moral sense like an animal. So here you have the juxtaposing of two parshios. One parsha that speaks of a person who has lowered themselves to the level of an animal, not befitting, not becoming a Jewish person. And then we have right after that a parsha of someone that seeks to elevate themselves and become even greater in their level of sanctity than what you normally expect to find. In a way, I guess one could say that neither of them are practical. Neither of them are relevant to what our lives are about. Hopefully none of us will ever have to deal with SOTA type of situations. And unfortunately, none of us are ever going to really be on the level of a Nazar. The Pasha seems to speak of people that are either below our level or above our level. However, right in between the parshas is exactly what we have to know. The part that's relevant for us today is not the Sota portion, not the Nazar portion, but exactly right in between the Nazar and the Sota. Rashi brings down, based on the Gemara Saita, three lines from the bottom of the second column, Kiyaf, Yafish, Loma Nismicho, Parshas Nozil, Parshas Saita, the Gemara, in Saita of the Beis, says this, why is there a juxtapositioning of these two seemingly conflicting type of people and Parshios, where you have two different types of, of people. One is a Nazar sanctified, one is the Sota, the mean and degraded. Loimah Allah because it teaches us whoever witnesses the Sota's degradation should maybe they should 
avoid wine and avoid, avoid things that lead to this kind of promiscuous behavior. Being a saita has a cause. Even the name saita does not mean an adulterous woman or a morally depraved woman. The word saita means a woman that has deviated and veered away from the paths of Kedusha. But the slippery slope that begins with that beginning deviation, that veering from the path of sanctity, leads ultimately to the degradation of the sota. Chazal therefore tells that the person that witnesses this should realize that the end result of a sota comes from a small step-by-step process, comes from a process that works with small incremental steps till you get to that level. And therefore you should take note, take heart, and do something before you get to that level to prevent the initial deviation, that initial, that initial sota. Sota means to stray. Prevent the straying, and therefore wine, intoxication, an intoxicated type of behavior, and levity, and things that, that induce and incite the Yetzir Hara, are to be avoided. Interestingly enough, the Gemara recommends this precisely to the person that sees the Sota. One might have argued the reverse, that a person that sees the end result of the Sota, that's enough, that's sufficient to fortify them against this kind of behavior. Yet the Gemara tells us, no, that the nature of a person is that if you see these things, it's going to have some impact. If you witness a sota, inevitably it'll have some impact, and therefore you have to fortify yourself with an opposite behavior, an opposite in the sense that you wind up sanctifying yourself beyond the minimal call of duty. So therefore there's a lesson here. It's a lesson of reaction, reactiveness. Namely, that nowadays very often we see you know, people talk about the Haredi world that they're more reactionary and moving to the right in fact the word reactionary and moving to the right are usually viewed as synonymous they talk about the centers being lost a lot of those kinds of complaints I'm sure you hear about it certainly in, in your circles more so than my circles obviously but in your circles, you hear about that quite a bit. Oh, people are bemoaning the loss of the center. Where is the center? We're losing the center. Everything is moving to the right or to the left, but we're losing the center. Even in places like New Rochelle and Westchester, you hear either people saying it um, in a complimentary way or in a derogatory way, but they say things like the black hats are moving in. Right? Have I heard that from someone there? You've heard from some guy, yeah. Every time he looks in the mirror, he sees the guy that he hears it from. So, but, <laughs> but you hear that. We're losing the center. The black hands are moving in or The left is moving to the left, the right is moving to the right. We're losing the center. To a certain extent, it's true. But to a certain extent, it's inevitable. Because... The Torah here is showing this to us. There's no center. 
we're starting off over here this parsha. We either have a soto, oh, that's not us. <coughs> we have the nozer, that's also not us. So none of this parsha is relevant to us. We're not sotas and we're not nozers. Where are we? We're right in between. But where's the in between? Precisely the point that the in between gets lost when you have a deviation in one direction, you have reaction in the other. That's why the right wing is called reactionary. Because they're reacting. They're reacting to a leftward deviation and you wind up losing the center. You lose, lose the center because people are no longer capable of just living life in a moderate, middle-of-the-road way when you're constantly being tugged one way and the Rambam explains to us in Hilchus Deis, the Rambam, of course, was the great advocate of what's known as the Shvil Hazov, the Derech Hamamutz in the middle road. Rambam was a moderate, at least that's the way he's, he's, he's classified. I'm not, not necessarily moderate the way people think of it. But the, the Rambam did advocate the middle path, the middle road, not to veer too much to the extremes. That's the Rambam says. Don't veer to the extremes. Stay in the middle of the road. The Rambam in Hilchas Deus begins this topic in the second chapter of Hilchas Deus, Perik Shein, where he describes the Rambam being a physician himself. He says that when a person is sick, sometimes that which is sweet to everyone else is bitter to him that which is bitter to everyone else becomes sweet to him and therefore he compares people that are spiritually ill to seeing evil things as good and good things as evil darkness becomes light light becomes darkness therefore he says that just as you go to physicians for illnesses so when you're spiritually ill, you should go to Chachonin. They're the Reifei Hanafoshes. They're the ones that are healers of souls. And they will heal the person of bad character traits. So he says, how does a person heal himself? So the Rambam in, in the second chapter talks about the Rufuah. However, he starts off in his first parak where he talks about all the different midas that people have. And he notes how all midas work in opposites and go from extreme to extreme. Something we talked about the other day when we said why midas are called midas because that's to do with the measurement. Every character trait can have from one extreme to the other. Says the Rambam that in 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 Perakrishon in Halacha Beis, the Yesh Bein Kol Deya the Deya Harochaykim Medu B'Ktseyo Acher Deyes Bein and the Zuruchaykim Misu. That people have many different in the spectrum of every mida, there are many intermediary phases from one extreme to the other. And people are born with some, people require some. People have predilections for some. Others are learned. He says like this. There are 
The extremes are never good. And a person should not accustom himself to go to the extremes. Therefore, he says, if you find your nature to be, to be attracted to one of the extremes, go in the opposite way in order that you should go in the middle. Haderach HaYishor, says the Ramam in Halacha Dal, in the first chapter, is the meat of day in the Shibuchol, day of the day. We call it the Shei It's the middle road, the moderate road, the in-between path. The Ramam here, by the way, I should mention, is referring to the to midos, which are character traits. We are sort of talking about religious extremism, which is somewhat different, although we do find this principle, some sort of applies it to religion as well, where we say, don't be too extreme in one direction or the other. So next week's parasha says that there's a middle road in religion as well. Again, we, we didn't really define what that is. You asked if that's what the conservative movement is. <laughs> we'll see. But, nevertheless, although the Ramam here is speaking about Midas and not necessarily religion, it may or may not be applicable. There are those that say that the Ramam is speaking about character traits. It has nothing to do with religious extremism. But in any case, the Rambam says that the middle is the best. And he goes through all the different kinds of midas, which we're not going to deal with, we're not talking about midas here. And therefore he says the pathway of the middle road, the derech beininis, the mutza, is the chokh. That's the wise path to follow. He then goes on, what's called Midas Chassidus, I don't want to go into that right now. Therefore he says that if you follow the middle of the road, that's called the Der Hashem, that was the pathway of Avram Avinu, and that's called the pathway of Avram. However, when a person has an illness, and as a result, he has to go to a doctor for a cure. Just like very often doctors prescribe medicines that normal healthy people are not accustomed to take, but because you're ill, you have to go to an extreme regimen. Very often the same thing occurs when people have, have spiritual illnesses or mida illnesses. If you're too much of a Balgaiva, too haughty, you have to sometimes go to the opposite extreme in order that you'll then ultimately be in the middle. Yeah, something that's bent. Have a compulsion or right. So, they, they can give uh, answer to that. Yes. Very good. We're not talking about chemical imbalances. I know, I know what you mean, but yeah. it's not necessarily compulsive. Yeah. We're, we're talking about minos. So when you have a bad character flaw, I don't think they medicate people out of bad character flaws. Because if they would do that, we would really be creating robots. A person, though, that feels that his midas are, are unethical should go to the opposite extreme in order that he should ultimately go back to the middle as the Ramam compares it to a 
piece of metal that's bent, you can't straighten it by trying to straighten it. You have to straighten it by bending it in the opposite direction. As a result, a person under these conditions should go to an opposite level in order to ultimately come back to the middle path. But that's what he speaks about in Perak Aleph and Days. However, in Perak Gimel, he starts talking about it in a religious sense. And he says like this, Shema Yehmarodah, maybe a person will think that Kimna, Taiba, Kovah, these are bad things that take a person from out of this world. As a result, I'll go to the opposite extreme. I'll become like a hermit. I'll become like a nazar. I won't eat meat, drink wine. I won't get married. I won't live in a nice home. I won't wear nice clothing. And I'll be like a monk. He says that's wrong. It's not good to be like a monk. That's called sinful. It's sinful to go to this extreme. And he compares this to the Nazar. The Nazar is considered to be sinful to a degree because he went to a religious extreme. Therefore, a person that deprives himself of all pleasure and flagellates himself is considered to be too extremist and that's not what the Torah wants. Isn't it sufficient that which the Torah forbade and you're going ahead and prohibiting yourself in other things as well? So therefore a person should not, as he says, Don't be overly wise, don't be an overchochem, don't be overly pious and righteous. Loma to Shemim, you'll desolate yourself. And then he goes on to describe it. So why then does the Torah laud the, the Nazar? So what then is beneficial and complimentary about the Nazar? After all, we now have two areas in this week's parasha that at least according to the Rambam that's based on the Gemara as well, the Torah actually tries to um, to discourage another certainly I mean the Sota certainly is condemned but even the Nazar as the Rambam says is being discouraged so when then do we praise the Nazar so that's what the Gemara said what Rashi brings down if you feel yourself drawn to the Sota you have to go the opposite extreme and react accordingly and thereby become the buzzer. So therefore what becomes relevant for us, as I said in the beginning, is not this Pasha or this Pasha, but exactly what's in between. And that's what the Rambam says is the recommended approach, the in-between approach. And that's what we're saying nowadays, that people are complaining that we're losing the center. But that's precisely the point. When you're faced with sota circumstances, Chazal recommends Yadzer Atzalunayayim. You have to take on the Nazar approach to life. Now, I think there's no question that if none of us are Nazars and none of us are sotas, but we certainly are, we fit the criteria 
of what Rashi says, we are at least roa sight of the kapula. We may not be sighted ourselves, but we are definitely roya sighted the kapulas. We are observers of sight. It's impossible to live in today's society and not to see yourself surrounded by sightus. All of society is depraved, degenerate, immoral, promiscuous. We're living in sota times. Is the only way I can describe it? We're surrounded by sotas. We're living in sota times. I'm not even talking about the literature and the entertainment industry, which basically promotes sotaism. That's really what it is. I mean, I dare say that probably every single television show and every single movie in one form or another speaks about sota situations and sota circumstances. So if you're watching it, if you go to the movies and if you watch television, is it not the Roa Saita B'Kilkulah? And even worse, because Roa Saita B'Kilkulah, as we said earlier, we had a question. It's a Chiddush that Chazal say that even if you're a Roa Saita B'Kilkulah, even when you see the Sota being degraded, and one would think that that's enough of a moral lesson, nevertheless, Chazal say, you're still going to be drawn to it. And you still have to react. So certainly when you watch in the media, and you read in the media, or you read the literature, or you watch movies and television, that basically praises the Sota, and doesn't degrade the Sota, unlike the Prapasha where the Sota here is drinking and blows up and is degraded and all that. And we say that even so, you have to react. So all the more so, when you're dealing with, with a society that praises and extols the virtues of Sotaism, all the more so, the message of Rashi, is necessary. So of course, people will read the Rambam and they'll say you're a religious extremist and you're just not supposed to be a mother. That's true. If you're a Nazir in and of itself, not reacting to something. But Rashi says, and Ramam cannot disagree with that because it's a Gemara, that then there is a place for Nazirwood. And the Ramam himself basically says it all beforehand. He doesn't speak about the Sota and the Nazir, but he says, yes, the middle of the road, centrism is what's recommended, but that's only if you're faced with a society that's living a moderate, sensuous lifestyle. But if you are drawn to one extreme, you have to react by going to the other extreme. This is really the sum total of why it is that we're losing the center everybody talks about. Yes, people are veering to the right, and they're reactionary. But reactionary means that they're reacting to society. It's society that's drawing in the wrong direction. Automatically, you're going to have the so-called center. And those people that feel the, this, they have the sensitivity of the soul to feel that the depravity in society is sinking them and lowering them, automatically they go the other way. Another thing, and here let's take a look 
at, at the papers we have. If you look in the middle, and this is very similar to this Salta observance that we that we are forced to to witness. We're surrounded by our entire society and our very homes are permeated with the stuff. Nitai who are Bailey Oimer in this week's parak, Pirkei Abbas, first parak. If you look in the middle, Mishnah Zayin, first parak. Nitai who are Bailey Oimer, Harchet Mishachin Stay away from bad neighbors and bad neighborhoods. Valtischaber Russia, and don't attach yourselves to a Russia. Basically, what this means is don't have bad neighbors, don't live in bad neighborhoods, and if you're in a bad neighborhood, move out. In other words, don't leave Bar Park to move to New Rochelle or Riverdale. Rather, the reverse. Leave Westchester, and we should all move to Lakewood or Muncie. That's the direction you're supposed to be moving in. Certainly, don't befriend or don't attach yourself to a Russia. Don't bring into your house a Russia. That certainly is the case. If you bring a television into your home, you're bringing the Russia into your home. Why? Says the Meiri. Two reasons. Because bad neighbors are going to corrupt you in a way that's going to be damaging. Secondly, you may learn from their deeds. If you hang out with bad people, you're going to be but you're going to pick up bad character traits. There of Klaalam, as it says, Oil Russia, Woe unto the Russia, woe unto his neighbor. In any case, Oil Russia, Oil means woe to the wicked person, woe to his neighbor. If you hang around a bad neighbor, you're going to be affected by it. Morally, spiritually, certainly this is the case. As a result, Let's just take an easy example to understand. And let's not talk about religion from a religious perspective. Let's talk about from a character perspective. You have a television. You have a television. You watch sitcoms. Comedies. Forget about the moral aspects of it and the religious aspects of it. What about the ethical and the character traits aspects of the way children and parents and their relationships are portrayed. Simple thing like that. The way children speak to their parents, the way spouses speak to their spouses, the way people talk to each other. Doesn't it teach chutzpah? Doesn't it teach a language? And I mean, kids that watch this, don't they get affected by the way children are portrayed as speaking to their peers as speaking to their parents, as speaking to their teachers, there's just a moral corruption that's in that's inevitably going to filter to the people. I mean, even if you watch programs that aren't SOTA type programs, just just the nature of the conversation, the language that's used, the way it's spoken, 
the chutzpah, the lack of edelkeit. If you attach yourself to a Russia, if you bring a television into your home, then you're attaching to a Russia. You will learn from his language, from his speech, from his hanhoga, from his everything. Bad character traits. As a result, we now have a second dimension of the Sota problem. Not only are we in a society that surrounds us with Sota Bekilkula, and as I said, worse than Sota Bekilkula, because it extols the Sota, but the whole idea of living in proximity with all of this, and our entire homes are suffused with it, but bad neighborhoods. We have to pick up and move away. Let's read a Rambam that I do have down in here. The Rambam in, in the sixth chapter of Hilchas Deis says as follows, famous Rambam, we've had many occasions to do this Rambam. Derech briyosa shalodom liyos nimshach b'deyosav v'maysav achareya v'chaverov it is the nature of human beings, they are social. And as such, people are drawn in their attitudes, in their actions, in their character traits, to be part of their peer group, part of their neighbors and their friends, their associates. You are drawn in character traits and in thoughts and in attitudes to be similar to your peers to your neighbors, to your friends, your acquaintances, your associates, where you live. You will act very similar to the society of people that you find yourself in. Therefore, the resultant um, lesson is a person therefore should attach himself and associate himself to righteous people and to dwell amongst sages, amongst wise people, to associate with them, to live in their neighborhoods. Because you'll be influenced by good behavior. Hang out with good people, it'll inevitably have a good effect on you. Avoid the wicked that go in darkness. Those that walk with the wise will become wise. And those that pasture with fools, will, evil will befall them. So therefore associate with righteous, avoid the wicked. Continues the Rambam. If you live in a country, in a society, who do evil, and their customs are bad, the people aren't walking in a glut way, on a good path. Leave that neighborhood, move away from there, you can go to a place where there is righteous people. Move, change your neighborhood. 
‫ובהיו כל המדינה שהוא יודע ‫ושומע שמעט הנוהג בדרך לא יטובה, ‫כמו זמננו, ‫אומר הרמב״ם, ‫בשנת ה-13 בארצות אפריקה, ‫או ב-12 בארצות אפריקה, If you live in a society where as far as you know, every single country that you know of, the whole culture around you, whatever you hear of, no one does good like nowadays, he says. Wherever you go, every society is corrupt. Every society is decadent, is degenerate. Nowadays, says the Rambam. Or it's impractical to travel to such a society for whatever reason, health considerations or other dangerous situations. So what should you do? Become a hermit. Sometimes the Nazar is viewed as a hermit. That you isolate yourself from society. You quarantine yourself. Says the Rambam. This is the Rambam. The great moderate talking. Right? This is the Rambam that everybody calls the big moderate. He's recommending, he says, that if you're living in a society that's morally depraved, like nowadays, and he's talking about 12th, 13th century North Africa and Spain, he's not talking about 21st century Western civilization, but he says if you're living in that kind of a culture, be a hermit. And if they're so bad that their influences is so pervasive that they don't even let you live a hermit's existence because they force you to associate with them. In other words, like nowadays, again, the Raman couldn't have imagined, but to what degree we're living in a society that invades our privacy, that even if you want to, you know, cause yourself to live alone and away and apart, You know, you want to have your home safe. You can't. You know, uh, whether it's through radio, through advertisements, uh, the streets. Uh, you're surrounded. You're inundated. You're inundated. And they don't let you live. They don't let you live. Shein menichim, isolation, b'medinam, kinesari, They don't let you live there unless you're part of that culture. It's so pervasive. It suffuses everything. He can't live there. Recommends the Rambam, the moderate Rambam. Run away from society. Run away, live in the desert, live in the wilderness, live in the forest, live in the cave. Leave society, live a hermit existence inside of a cave. This is the great moderate, the Rambam, suggesting. Let's just take a look at Halacha Beis. It's the flip side. The reverse is a positive command. Mitzvahs asei lidobik b'chachomim v'talmideim. It's a mitzvah to attach oneself to wise people, sages, and their students. No, it's a mitzvah to live in Lakewood. It's a mitzvah to run away. No, it's an aver to live in certain... Uh, wherever. <laughs> And it's a mitzvah to live in a good place. But it's a mitzvah to come to tell us to learn. True. Well, it's true Maybe it's okay. <laughs> right. It's a mitzvah to attach oneself to tzaddikim. As it says with Boy Sidbok, to attach oneself to, to cleave to Hashem. The reason that it says, to learn good things. 
וחייב שאותם לדאבק בשכינה, או כחום וכחומם בפרש בצבזו, ומורג סובס, הידאבק וכחומם בתלמידיהם. ולפיקוח צורך אותם לשתת לשיסו בס תלמוד חוכם. For that reason you should marry, your spouse should be the daughter of a Talmud Chochem. V'yasi bita le Talmud Chochem. And you should have sons-in-law Talmidei Chochemim. L'achor lishtoy sil Talmidei Chochemim. Eat, drink in the... B'chol minei chibor. To attach oneself in any way possible. As it says in the Dovka body. It's a mitzvah to live amongst Talmidei Chachom to be properly influenced and a person should avoid proximity with Rishon where you'll be influenced for evil. So the Rambam recommends a second type of Nazar which is runaway. So, so far we have two recommendations. In spite of what everybody says that the Nazar is an extremist and black hatters are extremists and reactionary and therefore the center is the great place to be and the Rambam recommends the center but the Rambam himself who recommends the center and recommends moderation only recommends that when all things are the same, equal. When society is depraved then you have to go to the other extreme either by being a nozer and abstaining more than you should normally abstain. And therefore, yes, it's true, the Torah forbade certain things. You know, the other day, yesterday, Richard was asking about why so much black suits and black hats and all of this. To a certain extent, it is a form of extremism that did not exist 10, 15, 20 years ago. It's part of the reactionism that sets in as a result of society going more depraved and more depraved. It's not necessarily the recommended behavior, it's a reaction to what we're faced with. And the Rambam says there's a place for that. There's a place in a therapeutic faction, medically, where you give medicine to sick people that you normally would not prescribe for healthy people. Healthy people do not take medicines, but the more sick you are, the more extreme the medication that you take. Nebuchadnezzar, Rishon, people that have cancer take chemotherapy. And what is chemotherapy? Poison. It's poison. Rishon, that a healthy person should take chemotherapy. It's poison. But Nebuchadnezzar, if a person is sick with cancer, then you have to take chemotherapy. How sick is our society? How sick? Roya soita bekilkula. Yazir atzmum nayayim. Roya soita bekilkula was a pretty healthy society. To see a soita bekilkula meant that a soita was an almost unheard of event. As we've learned in the laws of soita, that when soita became too common, it stopped working. The waters of Saita stopped working when society degenerated. Only in a great society of Kedusha and sanctity, only there did we find the Saita. And the person that witnesses it merely witnessed the one-time event of a Saita in all of her degradation, not praised, 
but degraded. And still the Torah recommends being a Nazar. When you have a society as sick as ours, it's a society never dying with cancer. How extreme do we really have to be? If we follow this system of Satan, we should all be on spiritual chemotherapy. That's really extreme. Spiritual chemotherapy. And as I said, we are not Satan's. But we are royal Satan's. That's one approach. The second approach the Ramam says is that society permeates every aspect of your life. Run away. Run away. Be a hermit. Live in the wilderness. Live somewhere out there in the Oregon woods, you know, with those other loonies out there. That's what he's recommending. So what should we do? Neither of these are very practical. Unfortunately, they're not practical. But it pays to dwell on the concept. Because at least if you dwell on these concepts, you will, in your own lives, at least limit certain aspects makes somewhat of a nazar, but realize that a lot of the loss of the center that people bemoan is the result of reactionaryism. But reactionaryism means that you're reacting to something. That's why there is a loss of the center. Because we're reacting. So we're going to extremist things. Black hats. Halavai, that should be the worst extreme. I mean, if that's the extent of the chemotherapy that we have to take, that you have to put on a black hat, Again, it only has with identification. Because to avoid identifying with other aspects of society, you're going to the other extreme and say, no, I'm identifying with this. It's an extreme, yes. JFK was responsible for these shivas wearing black hats. Before that, everybody wore hats. Right? In the 50s and the 40s, everybody wore hats. And Yeshiva Bakram didn't feel any different. So they wore the same hats that everybody else wore. Thin brim, thick brim, white brim, gray, blue, charcoal, black. Everybody wore hats. All of a sudden, hats were out of fashion, starting with John F. Kennedy, and then people stopped wearing hats. But because of the conservative and halachic requirements of having your head covered, and having your head covered with a greater head covering than just a yarmulke, certainly by davening, it's brought down in halacha wearing some sort of a larger headpiece, as a result, they continued to wear the hats. And therefore, the style started developing more and more to become more concentrated to only those that wear it, whereas everybody else totally forgot about head coverings and hats. And the society and the styles became more focused and concentrated to the shiva world, and it developed its own style. But it starts veering more and more to one extreme, because the rest of society didn't have it. So therefore, why should anybody want to put on a black hat? There's no real source for it. It's only going to be an identification. It's an extremist form of identification in a reactive way to what society is around you, in a nutshell. In any case, the reason why I focus such detail on these two lessons of running away and being a hermit, or Yazras abstaining from from wine and other forms of luxuries is only because this is a reaction that we should bear in mind whether we fully follow it or not. It's something to be cognizant of. The third approach, though, maybe is a more realistic approach for us. And that goes, and let me introduce that with the following question. 
I was by a dinner a couple of weeks ago. Tells you Shiva has every, I guess every decade, and then a lot more often. And Rav Donner, a dying from England, was there. And he said a very interesting shot, an interesting thought. He asked the following question. If we're all honest, we know that Hashem, we just had Shavuos this past Shabbos. And we all are familiar with the Gemara that says how the Jews reacted to the offer of the Torah. And especially the way the Goyim reacted. The Goyim were offered the Torah and they said, Max Sibbe, what's in the Torah? They asked, they wanted to inquire what's in the Torah. And when they heard things that were either against their nature or, or some other reason, they said, well, we can't accept it. The Jews, on the other hand, sighed on scene and said, we'll take it. We'll take it. You know, they make these free offers and you just take it. So Jews accepted it. Side on scene, Nasa Vinishma. You know, they were offered a tablet. Free? We'll take two. (laughs) So, Nasa Vinishma. Side on scene, Jews take it. And the Gemara Shabbos points out how somebody told one of the great sages, Rava, he says, you are a hasty people. Your mouths talk before your ears. You have to first hear what you are going to have. See if it's acceptable. If you couldn't even accept it, then you decide to accept it or not. How could you accept before you even hear it? So Rav answers, we walk with Hashem faithfully, innocently, purely, wholeheartedly, but the truth of the matter is, let's think about it. Let's think about it. Aren't the Goyim right? I mean, who are we kidding over here? Nasa Vinishma. You're willing to accept the whole Torah. Okay, you realize what's in the Torah. Henceforth, none of you will ever speak Lashon Har. Okay, no more, that's it. Lashon Har is forbidden. That's the end. No more Lashon Har from this day forward. Yell at your wife or your children, lose your temper, become angry, insult and embarrass someone, forbidden. I know, verbal abuse, right? We learned about that. Forbidden. Well, right? We learned it. Whole chapter, fourth parak in, in Bava Metziah, speaks about I know Dvar. Verbal abuse, anger, loss of temper, embarrassing someone. Okay? From this day forward, no one's ever going to embarrass anyone. No one's going to yell at everyone. And anyone knows going to get angry. That's it. Nasa Vinishma, we're all doing it. <clears throat> Who are we kidding? There's no way we could do it. So the guy were right. I mean, realistically, could you do it? What are you, what are you, what are you accepting? What are you accepting? You can't do it. You can't do it. How are you going to do it? He said over the following story, which has. Again, you're going to have to be willing to be a little slightly politically incorrect with this, but too bad. Um, <laughs> one of the great Talmidei Hagoyim, he said, I think his name was Michal, Michal Pataki. Later became governor of New York, I don't know. <laughs> something like that. Wanted to go there to Israel. Talmidei Goyim went there to Israel. The Goyim wanted to go, he couldn't, he didn't, it didn't work out. 
But many of the Talmidei Hagro went there. It's a strong settled there. They're from the original Yishuv, the Yishuv Hayoshin, together with Talmidei Habesht. Chassidish group went. The Goyim's group went. They were called the Prussian in Yerushalayim to this day. They're Ashkenaz. They wear strimals and, and uh, they wear the gold kaftans, but they're Ashkenaz. They're, they're descendants of the Talmidei Hagro, the Prussian at least. Some of the Chassidim, there's two groups. And they're indistinguishable to us. So he was going on this journey and uh, he was on the boat. I'm not sure if it was in the Mediterranean or the Mediterranean at what point, it was near land. And the boat sank. Storm came and the boat sank. And he was there with his family, I don't know, his wife, but he had a son and a daughter with him. I guess they were young and he was a strong swimmer. So the son held on to one shoulder, the daughter held on to the other shoulder, and he swam. He was swimming. And the shore was rather far away. And he saw he couldn't make it. He's not going to make it. To be able to swim that great distance in turbulent waters, such a distance carrying a burden of two people on your back, he was losing his strength, and he was going to fail and, and give up and they all three drown he knew however that if he lets go of one he'll probably make it he'll probably make it if he lets go of one so he turns to his children and he says my dear children we're all going to die or two of us will make it one of you is going to have to be left behind the Mishnah in Horius says that under these conditions you save the son and not the daughter. Certain times daughters come before sons in certain areas, but in the area of Pikuach Nefesh, of saving lives, the son comes before the daughter. Because we'll learn Horius and we'll talk about it. He does more mitzvahs, whatever the case may be. He tells his daughter, I'm sorry, my daughter, you're going to have to let go. It's a horrible thing for a father to say to a child. Just tap him. Okay, I have no choice. So she lets go one of her fingers. She's still clutching with the other four. And slowly but surely she lets go with the second finger. She just can't bring herself to let go. And he's crying, they're crying. She lets go with the third finger. Two fingers are still holding or touching her father. She lets go with the fourth finger and she's about to disappear under the waves holding on with only one finger. And she gives that up. Shrey! Tata, how can you do this to me? And shakes him up and he says, You're right, I can. Hang on. And all of a sudden, he got infused with superhuman energy and kaychus and he was able to make it and save both children sometimes you make a calculation and you think you can't, you can't, you can't it's true, you can't but sometimes you get an infusion of superhuman power what Goyim didn't recognize is the superhuman ability that the Torah has that gives people infusions way beyond normal calculations. 
And that's what the Jews realized. The difference between the Jews and the Goyim is you can't ask Mark Simpa, what's in the Torah? What's in the Torah? Can I, can't I? It's not going to work with logic. Nasa Nishma means, as the Gemara says, Tumas Yishor Tamchem. I'm going to be wholehearted with Hashem and, I don't know, however it will be, God will give us strength. That's why the Jews said Nasa Nishma. The Goyim were right in calculation. If you make the Cheshvan, it, it certainly doesn't make sense. The Goyim right. So they said they can't steal, kill the... But I mean, Mitzvahs, it makes no sense that you could accept the Tariyag Mitzvahs and live them. But you know what? Tire is tire. Tire is more than what human beings are capable of comprehending as being logical. Tire is beyond comprehension, beyond our abilities. It's a special connection to Hashem. He gives superhuman strength to observe the tire. Tire is different. Therefore, the Jews were able to say Nasa Benishma. Therefore, the Jews could say Nasa Benishma. Anyhow, this is how Rav Donner explained this idea of Nasa Benishma, of what it is that the Torah is capable of giving to us. And why the going were incorrect. If we take a look in Parshas Emor here on page 307, it talks about Shavuos. Pasek Tezayin. Avi Mochers Hashabbos Hashviz Tizbur Chamishim Yom referring to Shavuos. Vikraftem Mincho Chadosh Ol Hashem. You bring a new Mincho to God. So Shavuos is not mentioned anywhere in the Torah as being the festival of the receiving of the law, but rather it refers to it as the time of the first ripenings, the fruit, it's Chag HaBikurim, or in this context, it's, you bring a new Mincha, Mincha Chadosha. If you look on your page here, the Kliyokar on the bottom, Kliyokar says, one of the attributes that we find in the Torah is that the Torah is a mincha chadosha. It's always new. And it's always supposed to feel new to a person. It's a lot of b'chol yoyim. Kilo hayom kibo me'ar sinai. It's referred to very often that you should feel the Torah new as if today is the first day you received it. You always have chidushim in the Torah. The fact that Shavuos is not mentioned as the day of the giving of the Torah. That's another question. Hashem didn't want to allocate one day for the giving of the Torah for this reason. Because Kabbalah's Torah should and could occur any day of the year. There's no reason why a person has to take upon himself a new acceptance 
only during a uh, change of whatever new slate begins, a new cycle of dafyomi begins, that's when you're going to start new sechta, new change in your life. You're retiring. You're this. You're moving away. Uh, no, any day should be a new beginning. Any day could be a new beginning. The Torah to de-emphasize one particular day over the other, de-emphasizes by not quite referring to the giving of the Torah on a particular day, although we could figure out on our own that's when it was. So this theme of Torah being every day and any day is why the Torah de-emphasizes the precise day of when it was given. Ki be'emes omu rezal just like when a baby, an infant, suckles from the breast, he's always doing it hungrily. And it's always like a new taste for him, even the same old thing. You know, can you imagine eating every, you know, kids feed, how many times a day? Like 10 times a day? Could you imagine you have 10 meals a day, every single day for a year, it's the same food? Same thing. Kid doesn't act that way. The baby acts like it's the first time he's suckling. It's always new. The Gemara also refers to the Torah as, as like an ayola, which is like a, like a, um, like a new bride. It's always new. You're always in a honeymoon. Should be like an old thing that people despise. Because every day you have a chiddush. So therefore, to allude to this idea, it refers to the fact that on, on Shavuos you bring what's called a mincha chadosha, the idea of the theme of newness, that it's new, it's fresh each day. Every day the Torah is new, every day the Torah is fresh. One aspect. But then now he focuses on a second aspect of Shavuos, which is more pertinent to what we've been discussing. We know that Shavuos is the only time of the year that they brought Chomets as an offering on the Mizbeach. During, we know throughout Vayikra, I mean right in the very first part of Vayikra it says that one is not permitted to bring any Chomets to uh, the Mizbeach. And with one other exception, there is no time that we find chomets ever, ever in the Beis HaMikdash. Everything, all the breads, all the meal offerings, all the grain offerings are unfermented like matzah. Shavuos is the only time that a communal offering of chomets is brought. This is rather strange. Rather strange that this is the exception. And chomets is viewed negatively. In fact, Gemara in Brachas Zion says that Chomets is symbolic of the Yetzir Hara. It's called the Soor Shabi Isa, the yeast, the fermentation in the heart. Exactly why Yetzir Hara is referred to as Chomets, we've talked about on other occasions. I'm not going to go into too much now, but 
maybe one aspect of it I'll just repeat, which is that you know, matzah is pure, unadulterated flour and water. But bread, which is much more attractive and tasty, is basically matzah with one more component. Air. Nothing. That's all it is. If you puff it up and you make it look nice and make it, it becomes tastier. I use another example always. Cotton candy. It's the example that I always use for this principle. Cotton candy. What is it? You stuff it in your mouth and it dissolves a few sugar granules. That's what it begins with. You see when they make it. It's sugar granules puffed up to look delicious. And you feel like stuffing yourself with it. You could take gobs and gobs of it and stuff it in your mouth and chew down on it. Then it dissolves to nothing. It's the sugar granules. So all it is is sugar in the air. Sugar and nothing. What is fermentation? The yeast, the bread, it rises. It ferments. It looks delicious. It seems, it seems so different than matzah, but all it is is matzah plus air. It's matzah plus air. It's soft. It looks good. There's another aspect of chametz as well, and that's the whole idea of fermentation, which is laziness and lack of of doing and being active. Matzah has to be very active in its in its production. Chametz, like let it lie around and ferment. Those are the two aspects of the Eitzahar. The allure that it has with the eye. It's called sometimes eye candy. And laziness. In any case, however it is, the Yetzirah is compared to Chomets. For that reason, we can now appreciate why in the Mizbeach, in the Beis Amigdash, Chomets is never brought. The one exception, though, is Shavuos. So he says like this, The reason why Chomets is brought, the reason why Chomets is brought, on Shavuos is Lefisha B'mokam Shatarim Mitzuyasham Eina Yetzirah Yochel Hazik. Where there is Torah, there is no Yetzirah. Or at least the Yetzirah is no longer damaging. It's no longer harmful. Chazal say the Gemara in Kedushin Aflamin of the Days, Omar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Borosi Yetzirah, Borosi Yulay Torah Tavlin. I made the Yetzirah and I made the Torah as its Tavlin. Tavlin, usually in this sense, is translated as the antidote for the Yetzirah. The cure for the Yetzirah, the medicine for the Yetzirah, is Torah. You mentioned earlier that the people that have bad character traits, maybe they could be given medication. For compulsion, you said that they could be given medicine. So I said nowadays there's no, I mean, we're talking about character traits in those days, they didn't have these things. So therefore there are ways of giving therapy when people have bad midos. But the truth is that there is a medicine that could be taken orally. And that's Torah. Torah is a medicine that could be taken orally. Borasi Torah is its medicine, its counterpart, its antidote. As a result, if you learn Torah or you're engrossed in Torah study, you have less to fear about the Yetzirah because Torah is its antidote, its medicine. And therefore, another cure of the Yetzirah is not necessarily run away or abstain 
which are all regimens and therapies that are that involve behavior modification and changes. But another way of dealing with the Yetzirah is through the study of Torah and the involvement of Torah. And an additional point is in Pogah B'chom Menubal more in in Sukkot says if this Menubal, the Yetzirah chaps you Moshcheyu L'Beis HaMedrash Shlep him into the Beis HaMedrash Go to the Beis HaMedrash That was not only learning Torah but if you learn Torah in a Beis HaMedrash setting that's another way of dealing with the Yetzirah Now Shavuos, which symbolizes the giving of the Torah, is the counterpart of the Yetzirah, and, and even more so says the Kliyokar. That's in other words, we know that in the dialogue between Moshe Rabbeinu and the angels as to whether mankind is worthy of having the Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu's trump card was, you angels don't have a Yetzirah, you don't need the Torah. So as precious and as lofty as the Torah is, we human beings that have the Yetzirah, we need the Torah as the antidote and the medicine against the Yetzirah. And that became the winning argument. And therefore on Shavuos, when Moshe Rabbeinu trumped the angels by saying we need Torah because of the Yetzirah, because Torah counteracts the Yetzirah, we bring a korban that symbolizes the Yetzirah, which is the Shteyalechem, which is Chomet, symbolizing the Yetzirah, because Shavuos, Yetzirah, we have Torah. And therefore there's a direct relationship between Torah and Yetzirah. If you look in the Marsha on the side, he says something similar to this on another Gemara, Sukkot Dachnun Beis. The Gemara over there says that in the future when Mashiach comes, there's going to be a great Hesped, a eulogy. <coughs> Who are they going to eulogize? The Gemara says two Pshatim. One Pshat is they're going to be eulogizing Mashiach Ben Yosef, who's going to die. The other Pshat in the Gemara is they're going to be eulogizing the Yetzir Hara, which will be slaughtered and shechted. So the Marshal asks, why eulogize the Yetzir Hara? It's a time for joy that it's gone, not a time of mourning and eulogy. So the Gemara says something to that. Uh, well, the Gemara says, uh, well, let's just take a look at what the Marshal says. <laughs> that was such from the second line in this Marshal that I have in front of us. What kind of a hesped eulogy do you hold on the Yetzir? Oh, what a great guy he was. What are you going to say about him already? Says the Marshal, the Pasuk says in the beginning of Veracious, and the Medr says, what does it mean that God saw everything was very good? By vanquishing and conquering the Yetzirah through Torah, as we're saying, a person gets his own Mabo. 
With the loss of the eight Sahara, you're losing certain challenges that otherwise would propel a person to greater heights. So therefore, says the Mahashah, the loss of the Yetzirah is a loss. It's a loss that now that we have the Torah, we could propel ourselves to greater heights and greater rewards by fighting and dealing with the Yetzirah. However, there's one other point which he doesn't quite mention over here, but others explain. The word Tavlin doesn't only mean medicine or elixir or antidote. Tavlin in modern Hebrew and in Gomorrah as well means a spice. A spice is a little different than a medicine. A medicine is there to counteract. A spice is really there to liven up the flavor. It modifies the behavior and the flavor to make it especially good. That's what spices do. When you add salt, it's not to destroy flavor, but to bring out flavor. Even when you add combined spices like a salt and a sugar, it's not to counteract, it's to enhance the flavor. <coughs> Therefore, if one translates it this way, I created a Yetzir Horror, which by itself is horrible and disgusting. But you have Torah, that's the spice. Not the antidote to counteract and to subdue it and to destroy it, but the spice by which the two coexist in a much better fashion. Spices on their own, no one eats pure salt. No one eats pure pepper. You're not going to eat peppercorns. And you're not going to eat ground pepper. But you take ground pepper and you mix it with other things and you have a tasty dish. You take salt and you put it into other things and you have a tasty dish. You don't eat it by itself. Spices are never eaten by themselves. The Yetzirah by itself is unpalatable. But with the spice of Torah, the two together become much tastier. Therefore, what we now have is the following. We have really three ways of dealing with this Yetzirah. We have abstaining, and super abstaining, especially the worse the Yetzirah, the worse the Roya Saito, the Kukulo, the more Yazirats from the Ayayin, the more abstaining is required the more reactionaryism is required, where you react against the influence of society, that's one thing, abstention. Another thing is to flee, to run away from it, to isolate yourself, to seal yourself hermetically as much as possible, to run off and live in Monroe, in Square Town, run away. Insulate, isolate and insulate. And both of these approaches have their place and to a degree we have to always be cognizant of these approaches as not only being valid, but as being things that we do have to incorporate in our lives. The third thing, though, is to increase our Torah involvement and our Torah connection. If you increase your Torah learning, your Torah involvement, your Torah connection, you automatically are going to be able to deal with the Yetzirah. Deal with it two ways. One, to counteract it as an antidote, as a medicine. It's a form of medicine that's taken orally that counteracts and cures you of the sickness of the Yetzirah. And by its subjugation, and by subduing it, you reach greater heights, as the Marshal says, as the Kliyokar indicates, 
and therefore you counteract the Yetzirah with Torah and therefore just like on Shavuos an allowance was made in the Beis Amigdash for Chometz in our lives as well we're able to deal with the Yetzirah if we are fortified with Torah furthermore the Yetzirah itself becomes modified when used for the Torah I always say over and I'll say it again Eddie always says it as well that as a rabbi it's hard to draw people to learn it just doesn't really work you can go why don't you learn well, okay, yeah, yeah, okay people don't listen but a guy that enjoys life and gets a gishmak and he drives around with his fancy Rolls Royce and his fancy clothes with his handkerchief perfectly made and his pinky ring and his other index finger ring and the other one and he wears a bracelet on the one hand and he wears cufflinks that are with rhinestones in it and he wears a diamond studded watch and then he walks around and everybody goes, wow! and he says, come learn that's going to influence people maybe they think that we give out free samples over here also <laughs> yeah, we, we, we auction off and raffle off Rolls Royces but I don't know what's going to draw them but somehow or other that works it works. In other words, you're taking luxuries and you're taking all of these things that you should be abstaining from and all of these luxuries and all of these Yetzirahs and you're using it to further Torah, to further good things as well. In And you draw people to the base of Medrash utilizing the Yetzirah. That's a tremendous thing. It's a way of dealing with the Yetzirah. Furthermore, especially when you draw people to a base of Medrash, the Chazunish once told the Satmarov, when the Satmarov said, you know, this Rambam, so we're going to run off to the wilderness and the caves, and where exactly that we're going to go to Tora Bora, I mean, the caves of Afghanistan, where are we going to run away to avoid them? You can't avoid over there either because they come bombing you then, you know. You're in Tora Bora living a hermit's existence, and before you know it, and inside the Torah board they found computers also. So I'm sure they were all connected to the internet anyway. So how do you escape the base, how do you escape the Yetzirah today, the bad neighbors and the evil influences? Where do you go? Where are the caves? Says the Chazanish, the Shivas today are the islands and the caves and the wildernesses. Run to a Yeshiva. That's the way you run away from the world and you run into the cave. The cave of the Rambam is now the yeshiva. It's the yeshiva. And therefore, yes, you are insulated and isolated. Actually, Chaim Knevsky recently told someone based on this story, he said, well, if a yeshiva is viewed as a refuge, as the midbar, where you're avoiding the world, if you're going to have cell phones there, then you're sort of like defeating the purpose, this advantage that the Chazanish said of being away. You're bringing the whole world in. I mean, it, you know how distracting it is. I, I remember doubting Matsoi Shabbos by the Kaisal Marovi. Kaisal Marovi is, like, especially Matsoi Shabbos, it's one of the most sublime um, spiritual times, more so than Friday night. Because the other times are more touristic. More touristic. Matsoi Shabbos, the only people that come there are the ones that are coming to Daphne, and it's very spiritually uplifting, Matsoi Shabbos. You're dawdling, shaken away by the Christ, and all of a sudden you hear the cell phone ring. It's like, oh, you know, 
Okay, I'm trying to go back in time, 2,000 years, and the jarring ring of the cell phone. You're in the yeshiva. You're away from it. You're in the shear. And all of a sudden, a cell phone rings. It's sort of like an invasion of privacy of the midbar of the cave. Chazanish says yeshivas are the caves. So yes, you can fulfill the Rambam by going to yeshiva. You fulfill the Rambam by sending your children to yeshiva. That's the way we avoid the Yitzhahara. That's the way we counteract the Yitzhahara. So we have to remember, we are all, if not guilty of being a Saita Chas Shalom, but we are guilty of being Roya Saita. That we do see. And being Roya Saita Chazal say, So it puts a responsibility on us. The parasha puts a responsibility. Rather than viewing the parsha as being impractical and unrealistic and irrelevant, there are no sites that we worry about, there are no nazars that we have, but there's the in-between. There's the juxtaposing. That's where we are. We are at that juxtaposition where we view sites b'kulkulo, we see sites, royal sites, that we are. We have to respond. Chazal tell us how to respond. I'm just giving you three aspects of that particular response. The first two responses are things that are very difficult for us, although we should be cognizant of it, take certain elements of those responses and incorporate into our lives. But our main focus can be on this third aspect of the response, namely involvement with Torah study. And here again, I want to just tie it into what we said before about Nasa Vinishma and what Rav Donner said, namely that if we would understand the immensity of the power of Torah, the Koyach of Torah, and how much it could give us almost superhuman powers and koiches, we could understand that that will also help us in terms of our response to the Yetzir Horror. Surrounded and as inundated as we are by the sight of the Kilkula, but nevertheless, Barasi Yetzir Horror, Barasi Torah Tavlin, and the power of Torah is awesome and immense. And that's why Jews were able to say, Nasa Venishma, because they understood that the power of Torah is supernatural and superhuman. If we incorporate